Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 19. Acts chapter 12, 12 through 19. We all love a good story. I think that's universal. Everybody loves a good story. Well, tastes differ. What you consider a good story might not be what I consider a good story, but we all do like or love a good story. You know what's better than a good story? Is a good story that's true. Those are the best stories, right? A good story that really happened, it really grips your imagination and it's tethered to reality and you really get drawn in, you just marvel at the whole thing. This really happened. And today, I want us to consider, I want us to meditate on together this idea of the power of your story as it is merely a part of God's story, which is the greatest story, and it's a true story. Here's the principle that we're going to see in these few verses, 12 through 19. Here's the principle I want you to hold on to this. The Christian's testimony, which is a telling of a story of sorts, right, a true story. The Christian's testimony honors God, strengthens the church, and invites the world. Christian testimony has, in some senses, fallen on hard times. There's not a whole lot of testifying going on among evangelicals when it comes to sharing of their faith or even merely expressing wonder and gratitude and amazement at all the good things that God does. But our testimony is critically important to our own spiritual health and to the honor of God, the strength of the church, and the invitation that we extend to the world. So in Acts chapter 12, we're picking up in verse 12 is following Peter's arrest and escape. And when I say it like that, Peter's arrest and escape, it sounds really exciting, like there was a jailbreak. But if you weren't here last week, let me explain what happened. Peter was arrested for the preaching of the gospel, for making disciples. He was arrested because we had a, a leader who wanted to gain favor with the larger Jewish population that was not happy with Peter and these apostles and this growing church movement. And so Peter was arrested. He was going to be tried. But before they could bring him to trial, an angel of the Lord stepped into that prison and miraculously unshackled Peter and led him out of the prison. In fact, you know, Peter wasn't really sure what was going on. Is this real? Is this a dream? And he finally comes to and he sees that he's outside of the prison and he knows that it was real. And so we're picking up in verse 12 where it says, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Peter gets out of jail and the first thing that he wants to do, his first impulse is church that's his first impulse right not necessarily a church service in a formal sense but the people of God he needs to go he wants to go he has his mind set on going to a house where he knows the people of God gather together for worship for prayer for fellowship why well it's his true family he wants to be with family when you get out of prison if you have family and they love you that's where you want to go. It's probably the only place you have. Peter is a fugitive. You get that, right? I mean, he, he was busted out of prison. He's a fugitive, which is kind of cool. Uh, he's, he's a fugitive on the run. He's like, I'm going to go to 
Mary's house because that's where the church will be. He's going there. He's going there because it's his family. He's going there because he, he's desperate to tell them what God has done. He's going there for safety. He needs to be protected. He needs to be hidden as a fugitive. Now, when it says that uh, he went to the house of Mary, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Mary, by most scholars' estimation, was a widow. Uh, she was wealthy. She had a large house, nice, spread, big wall around her compound with a gate. She had money. She had resources. And somehow, she had survived through this time of persecution when, the, when Christians were really suffering. We don't know why, but I, I tend to think it probably had something to do with her social standing, right? You know, she had some money. She had some resources. And usually, you know how it goes. You know how it goes. You have money, you have resources. Maybe you get a little bit more of a pass so although the culture was hostile to Christians, she seemed to be largely left alone. And Mary had a large place, and the church would gather for worship and fellowship, uh, for, uh, for discipleship in large homes, and Mary had it. So they would go there, they would go there for all of these things, but they would especially go there for prayer, and that's why they're there now. They're there praying for Peter. So Peter heads on over there, and when he gets there, you'll see this in verses 13 through 16, when he gets there, the church is not just surprised, the church is absolutely shocked. They're dumbfounded. They are in disbelief. Look at verses 13 through 16. When he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. This is maybe the funniest scene in the book of Acts. It's funny. It's supposed to be funny. It's written funny. Luke is telling us a funny story or a funny part of this story because this is how it happened. It took a miracle to get Peter out of jail. And now it looks like it's going to take a miracle to get him into the church because he goes there. He's banging on the gates. Let me in. It's probably trying to keep a low profile. Like, let me in. Let me in. And this girl Rhoda comes up. Rhoda must be a servant of the house uh, working for maybe even a part of the family of Mary, but she's kind of keeping watch over the courtyard. She hears this banging. She goes in. She hears Peter knocking. Hey, it's me. Let me in. Now, Peter knows Rhoda. Rhoda knows Peter. We know this because she recognizes his voice. She knows who he is. And uh, so what does she do? She doesn't open the door. <laughs> He's a fugitive on the run. She doesn't open the door and let him into safety. She freaks out and runs in and tells everybody, Peter's here. Peter's here. I just heard him. I just heard him at the gate. And nobody believed her. Nobody believed her. And, you know, part of me thinks like, yeah, it's because she was a kid. You know, grown-ups, we don't ever want to believe kids. But I think it's worse than that. I think it's just plain old, everyday, weak faith, which is something that I know something about. I'm sure you do as well. The church was gathered together praying for Peter. What are they praying for? I'm sure they're praying for his release. You know that's a part of it. Lord, we pray that you would deliver Peter from the hands of this tyrant, that he'd be set free so he can preach the gospel and continue to lead the church. I'm sure they're praying for his perseverance in the faith. 
for his own faithfulness to the Lord, nobody was ready for God to actually do the thing they were asking him to do. You relate? You pray earnestly, God, do this, I need this, this is so important. We're, our, sometimes our faith, though real, is so weak, it's, we're, we're, there's so much doubt that accompanies our faith at times that we pray that God would act without any expectancy that he's actually going to do it. And then when he does do it, we're skeptical. We're a little iffy on the whole thing. Like, it's, it's not her. She won't shut up. She knows it's Peter. And they're like, look, it's his angel. Okay. It's something else is going on here. It's, it's not Peter. Well, Peter won't stop. He's got to get in. He's banging away on that gate. And when they finally see him, what does it say? <laughs> it's really embarrassing. They saw him and were amazed. They were surprised, shocked, dumbfounded. There's Peter. He's out of jail. The very thing we've been praying for. God has delivered Peter again, and here he is. So the church is shocked, and there's probably a lot of commotion. Peter goes in, and in verse 17, he basically has to tell everybody, quiet, shut up, shut up, shut up. Shut up. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you what happened. I got to share this story. I got to tell you. I got to testify. Look at verse 17. But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Peter quiets them down so they can all listen. He's dying to tell them the story. He's dying to tell them his account. And once he communicates to them what happened, then he says what? Tell others. I want you to tell other people, I want you to share this story, this thing that God did. It's not just for you, it's for everybody. So I need you to tell other people, especially James. I want you to tell James and the rest of the church. Now, James is essentially going to become the successor to Peter. James is the, the half-brother of Jesus who in John 7 verse 5, we read, didn't even believe. He, he wasn't having it. My half-brother, we have the same mother. He's saying that he's the king of Israel, the king of the Jews, that he's the son of man. He wasn't having, he did not believe. Jesus' brothers didn't. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, after his resurrection, he appears to James and James is converted. James goes from an unbeliever to a believer. He's radically changed. And then in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, we get a peek at how God had raised him up and caused him to grow and to become mature so that he is called a pillar of the church. He's like, tell James, maybe, maybe Peter knows that James needs to be raised up to become this kind of a, of a pillar. So Peter shares his testimony, tells the church, tell everybody else, spread the word, and we read about this fallout that happens in verses 18 through 19. It says, now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. So everybody's freaking out. The soldiers were asleep. The gates opened. Peter's gone. There's no, you know, the, the lock wasn't jimmy. The, the, the chains weren't sawed through. Like he's just gone. All the gates are open. And then they're trying to figure out what happened. 
It says in verse 19, and after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So just a couple of things that followed is tremendous for those that were guarding Peter. They wound up losing their lives in their obedience to their ruler not because they failed as much as because God's will will not be thwarted. And now, like, that, that Peter has escaped, you know, Herod knows that uh, my favor with the Jewish population is not going to do so well, so he leaves Jerusalem and he heads down to a different Greek-speaking culture to spend his time there. So that's the story here, right? This is what happened, right? It's, it's an account of, of Peter giving an account. It's a testimony of a testimony in a way. And this is why I wanted us to meditate on together, to think deeply about our testimony, your testimony. A Christian's testimony honors God, it strengthens the church, and it invites the world. Now, what is a testimony? What is that thing? A testimony is simply a, a personal account of something that happened, right? That's a testimony. A personal account, it's in your words, of something that happened, something that you've observed, something that you've experienced. And as Christians, our testimony is really a, a telling in our own words of who God is and what he has done. It's the simplest way to put it. Our testimony is not just preaching the gospel, though that's, the, that's probably the highest form of testimony, but our testimony is simply telling or declaring who God is and what he has done as it all relates to our own experience. So it sounds pretty good, but I've got to be honest, I've heard a lot of testimonies. You guys hear a lot of testimonies? If you grew up in the church, you testimonies. How boring are people's testimonies? Oh, my goodness. Testimonies can be the word. They can be exciting. They can be great. But boy, they can just be a drag. And honestly, the reason a lot of testimonies are so cringe-inducing is primarily because they make the testimony about themselves rather than about God. Your testimony is fundamentally not about you. It is fundamentally about what God and what God has done for you. Maybe it's about what God has done through you. You are certainly a part of the story, but you are not the protagonist. You are not the center. You are not the subject. You are not the hero. Testimonies go off the rails and become cliche and melodramatic when we begin to make it all about me. We tell our story. And listen, you don't even have to want to do that. The church will sometimes want to drag that out of you. I remember as a young Christian, um, I was invited to tell my testimony at a few different places. And so I would just be honest and tell my experience of where I was and how I heard the gospel and how I came to faith in Christ. And because a part of my background was involvement in the occult and some stupid things like that, afterwards, as much as I wanted to make it about Jesus, many of the people wanted to talk to me afterwards, not about Jesus, but about all the stupid things I used to do the crazy things that they never tried before. It so turned me off, I stopped telling my testimony. Like, I don't want to tell it anymore. I didn't tell for years. Testimonies are a gift that God entrusts with us to share. 
So we don't want to neglect them, but we want to do well with them. And what we're doing when we're telling a testimony is we are declaring God's good work. That's one way to think about it. Your testimony is a declaration of God's good work. Let me read a a passage. Uh, Psalm 71, verses 15 through 18. Here the psalmist says, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation your power to all those to come. That's the mindset of the believer. We should have a burden to testify of God and his good works, his great works in the world, in our lives that other people may hear, that other people may receive it. In giving a testimony, it is a declaration of what God has done or is doing, but it is also an invitation for people to believe, to draw near to that. And it's supposed to be normative. This is supposed to be a normal, regular thing. And I think we're going to have to put some hard work into normalizing testimony of various kinds. We need to normalize the testimony of, of praising God openly and publicly for the good things that he gives us in the presence of believers and unbelievers. Publicly, not just privately. We shouldn't be embarrassed to say, praise God for the good things that he has done in my life in this particular area. Not making it about us, but making it about what God has done. We have many good things to testify about. God's provision, God's correction, God's patience. If you begin to think about your life and all of the details, regardless of what you're going through right now, you can certainly recall God's kindness and his favor. We declare God's work, which means if we're going to declare God's good works, God's great works, then we have to know God's good works. We have to know his good deeds. Right? You have to be familiar both with the word of God, right, which is the perfect records of God's greatest works, but also we need to be aware of what God is doing in our lives. You have to look for it. You have to pay attention. Because as one preacher said, you know, God is doing a million different things in your life and you're unaware of all of them. Look for it so that you can praise God, honor God, testify before others of what God is doing. You've got to know God's good deeds. You've got to tell of God's good deeds. And you should have this burden to pass them on to the next generation. Because if we don't tell them, who will? Testimony is declaring God's good works. But testimony does relate to, and I think is highlighted in a kind of evangelism where we are declaring God's greatest work, his greatest work in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the testimony of all testimonies. The testimony of the Christian is Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. It is his love, his lordship. Our testimony is all about Christ. And 
when you read in scripture, the, the way that the authors of scripture talk about the, the power and the value of our testimony, it is grounded in the revelation of Jesus Christ and his work. It's not our words that are powerful. It's the work of God that is powerful that we are telling, that we are declaring. For example, in Revelation chapter 12, we spent a year in the book of Revelation together, if you were here for that. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. In chapter 12, there's this vision of the woman and the dragon. The dragon is the devil. He's, he's, he's attacking. He's coming against God's people. But listen to what we read in verse 11. The, the brothers and the sisters who were attacked, persecuted, some even killed, it says, and they have conquered him, that is that dragon, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. So they conquered the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So there's like an objective and a subjective element to this, right? The, the, the blood of the lamb is the death of Jesus Christ. They overcome the devil by the death of Jesus Christ. It's objectively what happened. When Christ died on the cross, he dethroned all powers and principalities. Satan was defeated, cast down, bound. Christ died and set us free from our sin, from bondage, from slavery to the devil. And in his resurrection, he leads us forward as we're filled with the same spirit that raised him from the dead to conquer the devil. We are more than conquerors with Christ. But this blood of the lamb is ultimately expressed by the word of testimony. By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, their words about the word their words about the Son of God. Our testimony, when it's grounded in the gospel, is a means of victory, finding victory in spiritual warfare and in persevering. Testimony is not about how good you are or how much you've changed. Your testimony is about what God has done in Jesus for you yesterday, and today, and tomorrow. Listen to 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's the testimony, right? Here's the testimony. God gave us eternal life. He saved us. He brought us out of death. There's life in the son. You see the invitation here. There's life in his son. There's a welcoming to the world. Come on in. This is where you find life in Jesus. If you have the son, you have life. If you don't have the son, you don't have life. Jesus is our ultimate testimony which means for us to testify properly as Christians, which we're called to do, we have to know the gospel. We have to actually understand this good news. We have to be able to articulate it in some way. You don't have to articulate it the way I articulate it. I don't have to say it how you say it. Some people are super smart and use lots of words. Other people like to keep things very simple and direct with fewer words. 
The point, though, is, is that we have to understand the gospel well enough, the good news that God, our holy God, loves sinners like us so much that he sent his son to ransom us from sin and from the devil, from vanity and uselessness, to reconcile us to himself that we might be made whole and glorify God. We have to be able to encapsulate this in such a way that we can tell others. You've got to know the gospel and you've got to be able to tell Jesus' story. You see, you're not going to be able to tell your story very well unless you can tell Jesus' story. Now, you, again, you don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to have the, the gospel of John memorized, but you have to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus did and how that relates to you, how your story is really a part of God's greater story that you get to play a part in. So declaring God's greatest work, right? We're, we're talking about Jesus, right? We tell Jesus' story, but we do have to learn how to tell our story as it's a part of his story, right? So if we're telling Jesus' story, right, that's, Christ's work on the cross, when we tell our story, that's Christ's work in us. It's still Christ in his work. So we have to learn how to tell our story without embarrassment, without any kind of shame, simply, clearly, boldly, with joy, with eagerness and excitement. You got to tell your story. In, um, in Luke chapter 8, verse 39, in, in chapter 8, we have a a man who is demon-possessed, and Jesus heals him, casts out the demon. And Jesus says in verse 39, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Testify, tell others. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. He did exactly what Jesus said. All that you've experienced, all that you've come to know, all that you can see God doing in your life is meant for you to share with others because others desperately need it and because God certainly deserves to be spoken of, to be lauded, to be praised. So tell your story. When you're telling your story, one of the things that you can focus on is how God delivered you. Maybe God delivered you from gross immorality or some cheesy, stupid, pagan, witchcraft, satanic thing. Or maybe God delivered you from a lifestyle of, of vanity and materialism and greed. Maybe God delivered you from moral superiority thinking you're, you're better than everybody else because you have such a good image. But God delivers all of us from our sins and our false identities and our false idols to bring us into his kingdom. We share how God delivered us and we're all different. That's what makes the testimony so amazing. It's the same Christ, the same savior, the same work that he does, but it takes this root in our hearts and it brings us into this life of obedience and it all looks different. Or consider 1 Peter Chapter 3, verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
our, our testimony is not gloating. It's not shoving things in people's faces. It's gently, it's carefully, it's respectfully defending the hope that we have, explaining, articulating what the ground of our hope is. I mean, in your testimony, you get to explain to people why you have hope in a world as messed up as ours or how you have hope in a life that you have messed up so dramatically that there is almost no way you can figure out how to put it back together. There is hope for us in Jesus and that's one of the things that we talk about. So what I want for us is I want for us to be a people who know the story of Jesus well enough and know our story well enough to make sure that we can see how the two are connected and share it with other people. What is your story? You do have one. The problem is, is that many motivational speakers and icons and personalities out there that have large platforms want to encourage you to make yourself the center of the story, the star. Tell your story. And they're half right. You need to understand your story. You have to understand where you came from, where you're going, what the crisis is, what the crises have been. And, and you have to show how God is Lord and, and, and sovereign over all of it, how Jesus redeems you. But your story is merely a part of God's story. And when you can tell that, when you understand that, it's easier to share. In fact, you will be happy to share it. In fact, you're made to tell your testimony. You're created for it. I know some of you think like, nah, telling your testimony and talking to people about Jesus, that's, that's for the people, that's for people like, like preachers, right? Like you, you talk all the time. All you do is talk, you talk, talk, you get up and you like to tell everybody about Jesus. That's what you're wired for. We're not all wired for that. We are all wired to testify. We're not all wired to preach. We're not all called to preach or to teach, but we are all called to bear witness. Listen to what Jesus says in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, keep in mind what we've already studied in the book of Acts. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will also bear witness about me. That is testify, right? He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You will bear witness, you will testify, you will tell the truth. You will give an account of what you know in your own words. Like Jesus says in Acts chapter one, you will be my witnesses. What do witnesses do in court? They testify. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. You are called, we are called to testify. And listen, if you're struggling because you think like, yeah, how am I supposed to testify? I'm such a mess. I'm such a failure. I, I screw up all the time. I don't, I, don't, I don't do the right things and I have so much more to go. That's sort of the point because you are not the hero of your testimony. Jesus is. And Jesus loves you. Jesus saved you. Jesus is working in you. Jesus is changing you. He is taking you somewhere. He is going to cause you to become the person you were meant to be. There's no getting around the fact that you are wired, rewired really, to become an instrument in the hands of God to tell other people about Christ. And the testimony is probably the easiest way for us to do it. 
to, on a, in a general sense, to praise God for all of the good things that he is doing in our lives. Well, it's like, hey, we were able to finally fix the car or get a replacement or, hey, we were able to, uh, to, to make up enough money for rent because rent, we were so behind, we weren't gonna be able to pay for our rent and God provided, now we can't. Like, we need to be able and willing and excited to testify of all of the good things that God is doing in, in our lives. This should be normal for us. It's not for most of us. It needs to be normal. We need to normalize it. And I know you're thinking like, well, how am I supposed to do this? If I just, I've never done it before. If I start doing it, people are gonna think I'm weird. Totally, yes, yes, that is true. They will, people will think like, what's this all about? Is this a new thing? Is this your new thing? Now you're gonna start, fine, own it. Suck it up. You haven't been testifying, okay. So start. It'll only be weird until it's not. It'll only be uncomfortable until it's not. You think it'll ever become a part of your life if you don't start and push through the discomfort and the awkwardness? I remember the first time I ever tried to use the word hallelujah in a group of Christians. We're hanging out and I said, it was the last time I ever used that word, by the way. In song, I will sing hallelujah all the time. I've never used it again because everybody was like, oof. That's a Pentecostal word. We're not allowed to use the word hallelujah in our everyday vernacular. Uh, you can say praise God, but you can't actually say the word hallelujah. It's not, it's not okay. But I remember feeling so stupid because I heard it on uh, like a charismatic TV show that I was watching because I just took in every Christian thing I could as a new Christian. Uh, and, and this guy would always be like, hallelujah. And I was like, yeah, man, that's a good word. It's a biblical word. I'm gonna try that out. Thankfully, thankfully, it didn't discourage me from talking about God. And there's certainly nothing wrong. If you are a hallelujah person, good on you. Own it, rock it, don't apologize for it. But we need to be careful not to allow ourselves to be pushed out of testifying because it is somehow awkward or uncomfortable for us. So I, I, I wanna give you some advice. I wanna give you some, some advice. And this is not advice as an expert. I'm not, I'm not speaking to you as a guy that has this all worked out and I've got it down. Uh, I don't have any medals in testifying. Um, I have some uh, DNS, right? Did not finish uh, in, in, in my testifying experience. But I do want to give you some counsel, some advice, so that you can begin to tell your testimony. Keep in mind, a Christian's testimony honors God. It honors God. It's a blessing. It's a praise to him. It strengthens the church. Your testimony of what God is doing in your life helps other Christians because sometimes they can't see what God is doing in their life and they need to see what he's doing in somebody else's. And it is an invitation to the world. What God is doing in your life, God can do in anybody's life. And he invites everybody to come. So uh, in sharing your testimony, I just have a, a few things really quick. Number one, keep God at the center. Make it about God. Make it about the Lord. It ain't about you. It's not about making you look good. If you're spending a whole lot of time on like, I was really, really bad and now I'm really, really good, it's, you're not really telling a proper Christian testimony. You're just bragging on your moral improvement. Keep God at the center. Make sure that you are telling a story about God or more specifically about Jesus. Make sure that you're able to, if you have the opportunity, to tie it to the gospel. Number two, have a passage. It's much easier, I have found, to give a testimony if you have a passage of scripture 
that helps, that facilitates. The first psalm I ever remember studying, studying, I'm using that word very liberally. The first psalm I ever read slowly, repeatedly was Psalm 40. Because as a brand new Christian, I was just stuck on these opening three verses because I felt like that's what God did to me. This happened to me. Psalm 41 through three, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Whew. That, that, that felt like exactly what God did to me. I was condemned. I was damned, doomed. I was ruined as a sinner. I knew I was going to hell. Totally fair and appropriate. And yet, God loved me and saved me. He changed my mind. He pulled me out of my self-destruction and set me on a rock. That rock is Jesus. On him I stand. And he doesn't just do this for me. He does this for any who are willing, who cry out to him in faith. So as a new Christian, I would frequently go to Psalm 40. I wouldn't even hit the Gospels first. I'd go to Psalm 40, one through three, because it just worked so well with my limited ability of expressing what God did in my life. So have a passage, a gospel passage, a psalm, it doesn't matter, but something that you are familiar with that you can share with others. 1 John 1, 9 has is, is, is also been a passage that uh, I, I've used a, a fair bit in my life in giving testimony because it's very simple. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's a, here, listen, this is what I found, that as bad as I have sinned and as frequently as I continue to sin, God cleanses me from all of my unrighteousness. He never fails. He doesn't fail to forgive. He always forgives. But we've got to confess, right? Which is shorthand for confessing our sins and trusting in Christ. Have a passage. So keep God at the center. Right? Make sure you have a gospel uh, fluency there with you. Number two, have a passage that'll help you tell your testimony. Number three, keep it brief. Ain't nobody want to hear you talk forever, right? Like, it's like, it doesn't matter if they're highly motivated spiritual people who love you. You talk too long, people tune out. So just figure out how to, how to share briefly, truly, powerfully even, winsomely. But get to the point. Don't drag it out. Don't make people regret listening to your testimony because you like to hear yourself talk. And number four, in your testimony, whether it's implicit or explicit, make sure that you are inviting the world in to receive what you've received, to experience what you're experiencing. That's my encouragement to you to share your testimony. On the flip side, it's really important that you hear people's testimonies. You need to hear, even if they're long-winded. You need to hear it. You need to listen to what God is doing in people's lives, to praise God. See, here's the thing. Testimony magnifies the glory of God because it's now not just one person telling of what God did, now it's you hearing of what God did and now you are magnifying the Lord and expressing praise and thanksgiving. And then you're seeking grace and help and support from that same God. You want to see God at work? Most of the time, you're not going to see it with your eyes, right? 
You wanna see God at work, listen to testimonies. Listen to what people are saying. And if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Christ, and all of this seems a bit much, I would encourage you to listen to the testimony of Christians who care for you and want you to hear what God has done in their life. They're not gloating, they're not showboating, they are boasting, not in themselves, but in God, who offers to do the same thing for you, to save you, to lift you out of the pit, and put your feet on a rock, and establish your footing, to put a new song in your heart, and to change you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would teach us by your word, that you would equip us to not just have a testimony, but to share a testimony. God, we ask that you would be glorified in our broken, fallen, doubting lives. That you would cause our faith to continue to grow and increase for doubt to decrease and for obedience to flourish as it stems from faith. In Jesus' name, amen.